part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Was Peter Townsend and Princess Margaret's love in the context of a whole life, a fleeting one or a lasting one? What is the balance between the monarchy as it is and the monarchy that Charles wants? And was Boris Shelton just drunk all of the time? We'll answer those questions and more on this review of The Crown, Season 5, Episodes 4 through 6. Our spoiler-filled edition of Podcast Little Bit begins now. We're covering the most recent season of The Crown. Make sure that you've watched it before you listen. You've been warned. everybody to podcast a little bit double m with you that's double b boss bubba over there and we have with us a special guest double s sovereign susan she is our queen this week uh, we're here to talk about season five episodes four through six of the crown spoiler alert for those episodes if you haven't seen them why are you here it's i mean it's cool if you want to be spoiled but i don't want to hurt you nobody here wants to hurt you so i suggest you watch those episodes first and we always start off with a rating of these episodes, but first I want to talk to our special guest, Sovereign Susan, double S. Welcome back to a podcast of mine. Normally you are on Before the Dragon and you've contributed great feedback to this podcast regarding the show, The Crown. Uh, how does it feel to be on the podcast with the boss? Yeah, yeah I, I appreciate it. It's uh, fun to get involved in something a little different and I I'm uh, glad that you were willing to uh, let me come in and contribute instead of just my long rambling emails that I sent you in uh, previous episodes. No editing was ever done with those. Uh, I just <laughs> did whatever I had to do. It made the podcast last longer, to be perfectly honest. And it was good information. How can you cut good information? So, Susan, given that, how about your rating for these three episodes, season five, episodes four through six? Ah, you know, I have to say that this this whole season is definitely not my favorite. I don't know if it is because we're getting closer to it being the time that, you know, we're living in versus something that you're looking at a little more historically. I kind of think that has an Im impact on how I view it. Mm. But um, I'm going to give them double Bs. Double Bs? Yeah, double Bs for... Uh, the uh, BB and the BBC and uh, Margaret's uh, interview starting out here. Excellent. Excellent. How many, what on a scale of 10? An eight. Eight out of be 10. It's going to be an eight. Yeah. These two out of the season, uh, two of the three here, the first one and the third one of what we're talking about tonight, um, I enjoyed because they did go back into some historical stuff. And uh, that's where, when I think i enjoy this uh the crown the most great rating eight out of ten is a decent rating much higher than uh anything bubba has come close to giving this series i think in the history of this podcast uh bubba you had asked for double m more margaret and you had asked for more elizabeth as well you got a little bit of those 
this this set of three episodes. So how did you rate these three episodes this time? Matt, for the first three episodes, I went six out of 10 at season five. So those first three of season five, I only went six out of 10. And it felt aimless, as I described it last week. This week, these three episodes, you might be shocked to know, I'm going to go nine double C's out of 10. Wait, wait, double double C's? Captain, my captain. Captain Peter Townsend is back. That got the show back on track. That gave this season a focus, which I've really been longing for. These three episodes were great, specifically episode four with the return of Captain Peter Townsend. I loved. Why did I love it, Matt? I loved it because it was focused on characters. This is not only season five for the show, it's season five for us as viewers watching watching it. We have become connected to these characters like Princess Margaret and their past relationships still do matter. And so by focusing on that, I, I know I was very tough on episode three of season five, Moo Moo, about how we had to suddenly introduce a whole lot of new characters, which in these three don't really seem to have any payoff to introducing them then. And so the fact that we focused it back on the characters we knew and loved and the relationships they had, I was over the moon. Admittedly, episode four was my favorite of these three, and each one was just a little step down. See, episode five was just a little bit lower for me, and episode six a little bit lower for me. But I think this is the show that the world fell in love with, and I can't wait to talk about it. Wow. All right. Well, since Susan used double B's and you used double C's, uh, I guess I'm going to have to go with, uh, I, I guess I'll go with double B's also. Uh, I'm going nine out of 10 double B's as well. Whoa. Double B's for you mean bottoms up Morris's. <laughs> I, I think that, uh, I think that that, caricature of of boris yeltsin was really great but that's not why i really loved these episodes the real reason that i really love these episodes is because as you said they really focused on the characters and i had some particular revelations about some of these characters as we went through these three episodes because of the in-depth i learned a lot more about margaret and how she felt about how about about peter after all of these years which is something that i didn't expect us to visit i also got really worried for her when she started climbing up on chairs because she started reminding me of my mother uh when she tries to clean lamp posts or light fixtures and things like that uh but nonetheless uh charles is the one that really struck me he was the one who uh i Honestly, you know, it, it doesn't really matter how you feel about Charles in real life or anything as Bubba, as you've said many times, we're dealing with these people as characters. I know I focused a lot on the history and that kind of thing before, but if you just look at this character as a character, he's extremely complex and he can be completely awful, uh, not unlike Mumu in, in some ways, as I described in our last podcast, Mumu can be completely awful, just horrid. Uh, but at the same time, there are certain things that just kind of warm you to him. And, and a lot of, I think, what warmed me to Charles in episode five was this idea of everything that he had been doing. Uh, the way that he feels like he's being shut off by the monarchy is not the most 
intelligent way to handle it. But I think the things that he's doing, like you see at the end of the episode, uh, prove that he has good intentions for the job, even if he has terrible ways of getting to it. Um, as Anne says in that episode, you know, at least he loves somebody uh, as opposed to a lot of them uh, in this family or it's seemingly a lot of them in this family. And I really love the history of episode six. Some standout performances, Mar uh, Leslie Manville as Margaret during episode four, of course, especially when she goes after the queen about what happened with Peter, which we can talk more about that as we get into the episode. Uh, man, Nala Stoughton's performance of the queen uh in episode six when she's uh talking to penny and then after shortly after there i was just completely moved by that and episode five dominic west did a fantastic job again playing this character who is can be both a butthole and somewhat admirable at the same time so those are our ratings who cares what we think we care what you think. We want you to contact us and give us all of the information you can, your thoughts, your opinions. We want to share it on the podcast. And when you do, we will enter you into a contest. We already have a wheel of names with about six or seven names on it from podcast iTunes reviews, uh, additional feedback from YouTube. Some folks made it on there as well. And it's all to be entered into a contest where you can win a whole slew of different books. Uh, we'll give out one to each contestant who wins, but like uh, The Crown in Vogue, which is lots of lovely pictures from all kinds of articles that Vogue has done over the years regarding the queen or any of the royalty. We have The Crown Dissected, and we have The Crown Official Companions, Volumes 1 and 2, all to give away this season. But all you have to do is submit feedback to be entered. How do you do that? You submit a tweet to at LilibetPod, L-I-L-I-BetPod on Twitter. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S-audioblog at gmail.com. Use that same spelling for the website and comment on the web post, mattsaudioblog.com. You can also leave comments on our YouTubes, which are featured on the Double P Media YouTube channel. You find that by going to youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. You can also find double P media socials under this spelling, double P H Q, the word double, the letters P H Q. That works for Twitter, for Instagram, for Hive, and for Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters P-H-Q. We want your feedback. It's so important that we get it because otherwise we're just a bunch of people talking out into the air with no confirmation of how wrong Bubba is always. So we need that confirmation. Uh, most of the time, it's actually me that's wrong most of the time. But nah, you know, Susan will never be wrong. She wants your confirmation too, though, that she is our absolute sovereign. So please get that feedback into us. <laughs> Music analysis for this particular pod uh, set of episodes is already out there. Go back to podcast a little bit episode 11 on the audio, or you can find it on the double P media YouTubes. Uh, let's get into talking about season five, episode four, Annis Horribilis, uh, which is a play I think was originally made as a play on the uh, poem by, was it Dreyer? Uh, Annis Mirabellus, which was meant a wonderful year or a miracle year, 
Uh, instead, we flipped the coin and gone Annus Horribilis with the Latin. There it was written by the showrunner Peter Morgan, directed by May El Tuki. And uh, great episode, in, in my opinion. I think we all love this episode particularly well. Here is your 64-second recap of the episode. It's all about Elizabeth, even though it's seemingly all about Margaret. Per usual, the top monarch's tragedy and decisions end up affecting all the people around her, including her sister, who reunites briefly with her old flame, Peter Townsend. She finds out that he is dying and confronts Elizabeth on the fact that her and Peter's happiness was denied by the queen. Elizabeth is fighting multiple family fronts, in fact, including the aforementioned Margaret, also with Anne wanting to remarry, Andrew wanting to get a divorce, and Charles wanting to get a separation with Diana. Even a triple C, a Canterbury Cardinal consultation, doesn't seem to alleviate any of these issues. A fire at Windsor Castle adds more heat and is seemingly a final straw for the Queen as she prepares her Annus Horribilis speech which receives disapproval from the Queen Mother, but is championed by the Duke of Edinburgh as she attempts to make amends for making her family and the public unhappy with her. Okay, and as always, we will spin the tiny wheel of topics. It's a very tiny wheel, which means it has very tiny lettering. Give that wheel a spin. Oh, uh, Susan, there's a lot of words on that. I, I, I can't read that. Can you read that, what it says? Yeah, sure. Um, Margaret and Peter flashbacks. And I uh, agreed with Bubba that I really enjoyed that we did have uh, this going back to Margaret and Peter in this episode. And it was fun that they even incorporate when they when they do that in these episodes, they'll incorporate the actors from the previous seasons in some of these flashbacks, which is fun. But I'd also have to ask Bubba if one of the reasons that he is so pleased to see Peter Townsend show back up is that we have Timothy Dalton playing Peter Townsend. Townsend. Peter Townsend. Oh, I am a huge fan of Timothy Dalton. I think his one of his Bond films, uh, License to Kill, is one of my favorites. In this particular instance, I was very excited because I did believe that the Margaret Peter Townsend relationship was one of the high points in the show. And to re-investigate it, to re-examine it from this, what they say, close to 40-year uh, time difference, I thought was fascinating. And so that's why I was so interested in it. And I think... It's. I think we should answer the question that I asked at the top. Based on the show, and I always try to say based on the show as opposed to history, do we feel like their relationship was a lasting one or a fleeting one? In in my in the way I read this, based on the show, is that I do believe it was a fleeting one. Why do I say that? Because they did move on. Peter Townsend did marry again and, and stayed married until to this new woman until his death. Margaret did fall in love again and get married herself. But why is it so powerful? Because it was their first one, specifically Margaret's first one. And so while it feels heartbreaking to say a fleeting one, it it was a fleeting one, but in a very important fleeting one. That's my thought process on it. And both of these actors, both the young Princess Margaret and our current 
actress playing Princess Margaret, I think were great. And Susan, you got me. Anytime I see a Bond, I'm like, all right, let's roll. And it was great <laughs> to see Timothy Dalton. How, what did you think to that initial question? Is Was there love, it, once again, as presented on the show, a lasting one or a fleeting one? You know, I, I tend to agree with you. I do think that it was more fleeting than maybe Margaret especially wants to admit to. And I think part of that is because it also, you know, because it didn't, it didn't um, get to play out, you know, it was uh, interrupted and she, you know, she doesn't know what it would have been like to have lived with Peter. And so she can imagine, you know, only the, the best things and think about what the future could have been for them. So I think in that way, she can place a lot of significance on it. I also love Leslie Manfield playing uh, the Margaret in this season. She's one of my favorite actresses lately. I see her in more and more stuff. Um, but I think another aspect to this that's so important is when you're looking at it from this historical perspective is that Margaret can now say, gee, you know, this is something that I was not allowed. But now, you know, look at the generation that's coming along now, you know, even if it ends up that it's divorce that's uh, bringing it about, but they are getting to actually have those relationships with their long-term loves where she was not. Susan, I think that is a great point and a point that I think makes me question what the show is trying to tell us. At the end of the episode, Margaret and Elizabeth are having a discussion and Margaret has, excuse me, Elizabeth, the queen, has this thought of, you know, in our day, it was so different. Love was forever. Marriage was sacred, all these things. And I'm thinking to myself, I've watched this show. I know that when you were a young woman, your uncle abdicated the throne because of marriage and, and divorce were so uh, toxic at that time. And to me, it's like things haven't changed. People's longings haven't changed. It's just uh, certainly before we get to episode six, she sees how it worked for her and the way she understood the world of marriage being such a sacred, uh, solemn and uh, a relationship being a one-time thing. It worked out for her in ways that it didn't for other people, including the generation before with her uncle and with her children and with her sister of her own generation. So I think that it was fleeting as well to be perfectly honest. But I, what I want to do is I also want to give props to Elizabeth for recognizing that way back in season one and, and understanding that it would be like that. I also want to give props to Leslie Manville, especially, and this probably goes to uh, another topic that's on the wheel, but that, I, well, first of all, let's point this out. The kiss itself between older Peter Townsend and older Princess Margaret was not the kind of lasting love kiss. Uh, it, to me, it was very tentative and it, and it seemed uh, like, okay, let's try this and not something that said, you know, this is something we've wanted to do for 35 years. But that that's just me. Uh, the other thing is, is that Margaret isn't nearly as mad at Elizabeth about the fact that the monarchy's attitude towards these kinds of things has changed as she is just mad that Peter Townsend is dying 
that's where a lot of that anger comes out at. It's redirected anger at the fact that that Peter is dying and she's directing it at Elizabeth. In my opinion, that's the way that I read it. You I agree point? with you. I agree with your second thought, Matt, to your first thought. I just would the one the reason why I didn't read it that way is that a kiss to me doesn't have to be this super passionate. Our faces are melding together to truly show what it means. What the that's other not what means. I was talking about at all, Bubba. Uh, what well, I was that's, talking about that's what it came was across the way they, oh, I'm sorry. It, I was talking about the way they approached each other very tentatively. He was much, I think he was more into the idea of it being a long lasting love than she was. She just kind of meandered up to it. That's what I was looking at. And I said, you know, if you, if you really love somebody, you get together a lot closer. Uh, you get together, you get close a lot more quickly, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, they definitely presented it as though he was wanting to have some confirmation from her that this did uh, really mean something significant to her all those years ago. Hmm. Did she give it to him? Did she give him that confirmation? Because I didn't feel like she did. I think the fact that she showed up when she could have not shown up. To me, that was almost a confirmation in itself. And the way her her behavior, for lack of a better word, at the club where he was, where she knew he was going to be, to me, that that should have confirmed for that character. Yeah, you shouldn't even have been asking the question at the end of the episode then. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, for Margaret, it's always going to come across as this romantic ideal because, again, it wasn't something that she got to fulfill. So she's always going to be able to put in her mind the imagination of what this could have been and there's you know she didn't have any reason not to have to idealize it well what do our what do our listeners think here the uh cold-hearted hosts have all said that was fleeting move on listeners do you agree or disagree i want to know and i know you're listening we see those numbers i want to know was this if you disagree please let us know at little bit pod on Twitter, or if you agree, tell us why you think it was fleeting. I, I think it's fascinating. I love those characters, and maybe I just can't let it go, like uh, Peter Townsend couldn't let it go. But I just, to me, it was magical, magical moment in a very good episode. Bubba, where did it land, Matt? Um, I'm looking at the document. I'm not looking at you. Do you have your glasses in these? <laughs> these this text isn't that uh, small. It's a very tiny wheel, Bubba. I can't see the text not. on the very tiny wheel. But let's talk about the latest generation. Is what the the wheel points to, and it's Elizabeth and the double A. The double A. Well, it's actually the triple A. The ancestor, the ancestors, Andrew and Anne, who are both Anne's ready to remarry. Andrew's ready to cut Fergie loose. How do you feel about those? How does your, how do our current feelings maybe about Prince Andrew make us feel about this scene? Mm. What did you guys think about the children and their approach to their mother and almost having to get permission from their mother to live the lives they want to live? Well, not to date myself, but I remember seeing uh, the whole bit, uh, mostly reprinted in in rags around the U.S. after the the mirror got a hold of the pictures, I guess it was uh, that uh, of of Fergie 
And I remember everybody talking about what a big deal it was. And I just really didn't care. But I found it kind of humorous uh, this time around because of the way that television shows have now all focused on the weirdness of foot fetishes, uh, you know, from from like House of the Dragon to now The Crown. It seems to be the the topic of filming for 2021 when they film these things. Uh, Or so it's just I find it just a little bit funny. Uh, Andrew himself, I've never liked Andrew that much. He seemed overzealous in season four as uh, whatever he was, flying a plane onto the lawn. Uh, So I've never given much thought to Andrew. And I've always invested in, especially in seasons three and four, uh, where that actress was really good. What was her name? I I can't remember the actress's name for for those seasons. But she was really, really good. And I really enjoyed her. Um, so I like seeing Anne being plucky with, with the queen, with the queen, you know, in terms of she's going to do what she wants to do. It seems very, uh, an admirable trait. And I think some of those traits are even more admirable in the next episode as well. I know. And and here again, this is, you know, as I said in, in the introduction, I think this is partially why what you said about you know remembering this coming out in in the newspaper that the events that we're covering now are things that were you know much closer to you know things that we're going to have in our in our memories of living through rather than what happened in some of the earlier seasons and somehow I don't know I don't I just don't enjoy it as much when it's this uh, much closer to uh, the current times but yeah Andrew um, the only positive thing I can say about uh, him is in the and especially in the situation we're talking about his marriage is it does seem to be and here I am bringing the real life into this a little bit into the storyline but it does seem to be that they had an amicable relationship even um, though you know through the divorce and through co-parenting their children or whatever at least the way it's been you know pretty much presented especially when we compare it to you know Charles and Diana and all the horror that went on in there and uh and yeah I mean I think and it's really been until very recent years that uh she didn't get a lot of credit for how much that she has been such a a faithful person to the family who's you know definitely stood up to do her duty and is constantly going out and doing charity affairs and all the things that uh you would think that her mother wants her to do as a princess royal. So I think standing up for herself and saying, you know, hey, you know, in this this part of my life, I am going to say that, you know, I'm not going to going to give up everything for duty. I think that's admirable. The way this character has been presented on the show, and this includes the current actress playing Princess Anne, Claudia Harrison, is the character is like the one with a good head on her shoulders. Yes, a bit last season, we saw her realize that her marriage wasn't good and that can happen. But she was always presented as logical, uh, faithful, as Susan just said, to to the family and to the uh, responsibility. And this continues here. And so I always am thrilled when she's in an episode. Also because, and this ties in a bit to the next episode, she seems to be almost the only one who supports Charles in the family. And so I always like that as a trait of hers. So it's wonderful seeing them. 
Andrew, it's very tough to get what uh, the reports are about him now out of my head. But back at this time, I was not paying attention to any of this as a person in the United States. And so, I mean, I knew that Prince Andrew was married to Sarah Ferguson, but otherwise, I don't even really know if I knew much about this split. So it's fascinating. But between the two, give me more Princess Anne. That's what I say. Yeah, I liked how they had her, uh, you know, have that kiss in front of the the uh, staff at the very end to say, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows what's going on here. I like how proud that uh, Tim looked after she did it. I thought that <laughs> it was cute that he was like, yeah, we showed you, huh? Oh, <laughs> Bubba, there's fewer words on this one. I can read it. It says the speech. Finally, mm. I can read one. Thank uh, goodness. So let's talk about the speech, even though I, I guess the first thing I should preface this is that this speech being written in this way, I think, has a slightly different context historically than it does in the show. Because to me, uh, if you just go by what the press is saying and then uh, what we're finding is the motivation behind the speech feels to me like the press missed the point in the show. Now, I've seen articles and everything where uh, people have realized that the context of the speech was not just an appeal to the public, but also kind of almost a personal apology to her family uh, for maybe not being supportive of them enough. But I think that the the whole thing with Margaret really informs this speech. Again, Amalda Stanton did just a fantastic job i don't i mean uh, and there's so many things that go built up to that speech uh but when she said sun and water that just totally got me it's that's what broke me how about you susan yeah yeah i agree that she took those words from her sister uh having that discussion with her and incorporated that i did appreciate that aspect because it, it did feel like uh she was acknowledging that she understood what Margaret had said to her and, uh, you know, that that had made uh, an, an impression on her. And I also appreciate the fact that she was, in this particular instance, going to be honest uh, with the public about how difficult the year had been and how she was really feeling very challenged and in, in that maybe she had even let people down in her particular role. Um, I found that, uh, you know, uh, I, I guess this goes on to another subject, but, you know, her mother uh, having issues with that is uh, uh, something I have other opinions about, but we'll save that for a moment. Well, let's go ahead and roll that in here. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, let's go. Let's don't hold back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, because I feel like that, yeah, her. T I'll, I'll save the Margaret and Elizabeth talk, but I, I, I do want to, we can address this. I think some of the ways that, uh, the queen mother comes to her uh, and says the very things that a queen Mary would have said uh, in the very next right. uh, or in two episodes from now. And the fact that Philip comes rushing to the aid, I, I, we just don't see that side of Philip that often. And I loved it seeing that. Uh, Me too. And, and I loved the way that Elizabeth then turned around and defended him to the queen mother as well saying when did you start singing that tune and she's like it's always sung that tune you just don't want to see that and i i love that whole 
sequence. Um, I mean, obviously, Elizabeth had already made up her mind, but geez, that was so cool. And Bubba, your thoughts on any of this stuff? I loved it in the episode. The one thing I always think about is that all families are different. And I had a grandmother in my family who whose famous phrase was no fussing. And so the fact that this felt like a bit of fussing, you know, to the world and the world listening, I thought, oh, boy, my grandmother would also be on the queen mother's side. But Same generation, I bet, or close to. <laughs> well, you know, hold on. Oh, well. <laughs> well, she probably, maybe. Probably is now 103 years old. I was old. about to say, I think my grandmother is in Queen Elizabeth's generation. Okay, I okay. But, but I mean, uh, kind of coming, coming up with the same kind of ideal. Yeah, it's kind of tricky. Sort of, but yeah. This show, what's going to in season five, it has gotten viewers on Queen Elizabeth's side in almost every such scenario. And so if she wants to say what she wants to say, I loved it. I also love, like you did, Matt, Prince Philip coming in and defending his wife. Maybe I have a bit of whiplash in two episodes from now. I'm like, wait, the same guy is doing this. But in this specific episode, I loved it. I will just add that this is probably my least favorite um, iteration of the Queen Mother, um, the current actress mm. who's playing her. And I mean, nothing against the the actress. I really don't. I'm not familiar with her. What else she might have done? But just I felt like the other uh, ones before her kind of uh, inherit embodied that role a little bit better in in my mind. It's funny because I I almost wonder if this is purposeful. And, and, and I mean, maybe I'm overthinking this, but it almost feels like that with each iteration of the Queen Mother, we've seen them become more and more entrenched, right? But we're also seeing circumstances around the rest of the monarchy changing, flowing. Some situations that you think, okay, well, they've taken these attitudes before, but now they're starting to soften up a little bit. I wonder if it isn't intentional to make this iteration of the Queen Mother seem even more way on the outside than before. Hmm. Possibly. Uh, which is exactly, you're supposed to like her less because she's not moving with the times, baby. You gotta move with the times. <laughs> uh, Susan, where did it land? Well, uh, I think it landed on the fire at Windsor Castle. Ooh, you've got lots of stuff on this. Let's hear it. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to uh, add a little bit of historical detail to this uh, and uh suggest that people are uh, wanting some additional information that, uh, for one thing, there's a great uh, YouTube uh, video that does a whole thing on the uh, Windsor Castle Restored. It's about an hour-long video, and it goes through the the fire, what was, uh, you know, what was damaged in the fire, how they did investigation to figure out what uh, um, was the cause of it and the restoration. So that's out there. But I think it's really interesting that Windsor is the oldest European castle that is used as a residence. You know, and it was originally built uh, with the, the Norman Conquest. It was originally one of these Mott and Bailey castles. And you could probably go through almost every uh, monarch and see how they adapted and changes made changes and additions onto it. But um, I just wanted to point out a couple that I thought were are particularly interesting and one that relates back to the fire. Um, Edward III, who was the one that is famously called Longshanks, 
Um, and uh, he was one of the big warrior kings in the medieval age. He was really big into trying to like relate himself to the uh, Arthurian legends. And he started the Order of the Garter, which is one of the most prestigious knighthoods. You're only they only allow 24 living members and to, you know, for a new one to be appointed, someone has to die. Um, the monarch and the prince of Wales are always uh, part of that membership. But uh, he he started that, and there is a room at Windsor Castle where you know these castles have sometimes these really elaborate, beautiful ceilings. And in one of these rooms, uh, if you look up, they have the coat of arms of every single member uh, that's ever been in the Order of the Garter up on the ceiling. So for those of you like uh, Game of Thrones fans who love all the heraldry and you know house arms and things like that, that's kind of a fun little thing to look at. Um, and then are, are you guys familiar with the Time Team archaeology uh, program that was on for quite a while in England? No, I've never seen it. Okay, well, there was this whole several... Um, seasons of this group of archaeologists that would go around the country and uh, do these projects. And they did one at uh, Windsor Castle, where they unearthed this, this big project that again, this Edward III was creating this huge roundtable room, they called it, where he was going to uh, be able to host all of his knights. And uh, it was it was quite a discovery that came about. And so if you look up the Time team episodes, which again are also on on YouTube. You can find uh, the one on Windsor um, is pretty interesting. But lastly, I'll try and wrap this up. Um, we, moving forward quite a bit to George the Fourth, and he was the king during the Regency period. We're thinking Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell time period when uh, his mad father was. Uh, the King George the Third was during his mad phases. Uh, then uh, that was the Regency period, and then George the Fourth took over. He expanded uh, a lot of formal drawing rooms at Windsor and uh, decorated them. And one of those rooms is called the Waterloo Chamber, and it's this huge chamber that has these uh, enormous portraits of everybody that was. Uh, you know, famous for their role in the defeat of Napoleon. And that particular room was damaged severely in the fire, though I don't think any of those portraits were damaged. But because George IV had done such a meticulous job in his expansion of this, they were able to go back to the records that he had and find all the original fabrics and stuff he used, which they were able to, to use in the restoration. And then that particular room is where they hold a annual luncheon to honor the uh, current members of the Knights of the Garter to bring that back around. Susie knows more than you do. Wow. Susan, you've given me new life goals. How do I become a member of the Order of the Garter? I'm like, <laughs> I want to be a part of this. That sounds great. Yeah, well, you're going to have to bump off one of those 24, right? I wonder how many rooms are actually in Windsor Castle because from my research on it, there were 150, 15 rooms that were destroyed, nine of which were state rooms. You said this one was partially destroyed. How many right. rooms does that place have? Uh, I have no idea, but I will recommend one other short video on YouTube 
Um, there, Dan Snow is a, a English historian, and he has a just a little 16-minute video, but it's called "Inside the State Rooms of Windsor Castle," and he goes through and uh, and you can see like some of the highlights of some of the most important uh, pieces that are in those rooms. And you're going to get me all of these links so that I can uh, include them in our show notes, right? Sure, sure, uh -huh. I'd be happy to. All right. Matt, Matt, I do want to say to our listeners, so many times on these podcasts, I'm like, well, I wasn't interested in the royal family, so I didn't know about this. And I sound like I never watched the news. I did watch the news, and I do remember this fire being on the news and being a big deal when I was a kid. So there, I did actually pay attention to something growing up. Did you believe the rumors that Queen, the Queen went into the, into the fire herself to save paintings? Well, let me say back then, I don't think I ever heard that rumor, but I hope so. That sounds, this seems like something the character on the show would do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't even think they per really portrayed that. She just kind of watched it from outside in the show. But uh, there, I remember that there was a big, uh, there was a big phony baloney rumor going around that she actually went in there and tried mm -hmm. to save uh, paintings herself, which I do not believe, never will believe. Uh, I think I that's, I think that's hooey. Yeah, I don't either. But I, I, you know, I don't think that any of the masterpieces, any of the, any really significant art was destroyed. I think they were really lucky in that case. <laughs> the math worked out. Uh, 115 rooms, who cares? All of the good stuff is in the ones that are still left. And <laughs> well, well, seeing it through modern eyes, I see that. And all I can think about is Notre Dame, which I was in Paris oh, last year. Man. And seeing that destruction, it's like, oh, my God, we... We've got to have better care for these uh, classic buildings and uh, architecture and areas. And so, yeah, it's, it was it, that was the main thing flashing through my mind when I saw the yeah. fire on the show. What well, I learned from this episode is don't put spotlights near curtains. Don't ever do that. The sisters, Margaret and Elizabeth, and their love for each other, which they state very clearly at the end of the episode, that is a pretty bow on the episode. And once again, as presented on the show, I think they have a realistic relationship and I understand it. And it's always a joy to see. So that's really all I can say on that topic. Yeah. I really love the journey to get there. Um, the, the, the whole conversation that was prior to the speech, which I alluded to earlier was the one that really, really got me. Uh, but Susan, let me hear your thoughts first before I close this up. Yeah, they had two discussions, right? One earlier and then and then that one where Margaret was giving Elizabeth a little bit of grief there that she didn't get to again, I think she's idealizing this relationship with uh with Peter that you know he was so important to her and uh she was deprived of him. But I do think that Elizabeth took what she was saying to heart, which was then reflected in the speech and uh, in the way they presented it in the show then was, of course, that, you know, Margaret hearing that was probably moved by the fact that uh, she had made a difference in what she was saying to her sister. At the time, and, and again, I'll restate it because I kind of said this earlier when we talked about uh, whether it was a lasting or fleeting love. I think Elizabeth had it right all along and was still along those lines at the beginning of this episode. But one of the things that I loved and one of the things that I helped develop that helped develop Elizabeth real well, I thought was the fact that she recognized that regardless of what she thought of it, that, you know, Margaret was sincerely 
hurt by this. And she probably mm -hmm. didn't know that Margaret was acting out on the space that she knew that Peter Townsend was dying. But she did feel that resentment and that anger, and and she, at, you know, acted towards that. Both of them, uh, throughout the entire episode, just did a super fantastic job. The actresses, uh, Amelda and and Leslie, both just knocked it out of the park every scene that they were in. Uh, even if I wasn't that interested in some of the scenes. Uh, I thought that all of their scenes together uh, played on a lot of subtle things that really uh, made me invest in the both of them uh, a lot more this episode than I had been in the prior three. Not that there was that much to invest in them in the prior three, but, you know. Just because it's a fleeting love doesn't mean it's not important. That's right. Exactly. Here are your history notes for episode four of season five of The Crown. The first question, did Margaret and Peter actually meet up again years later? Yes, in 1992. And Peter Townsend did die in 1995 from stomach cancer. Source, Town & Country Magazine. The radio interview that is portrayed at the beginning of the episode depicts an approximation of a BBC radio appearance which occurred on January 17, 1981, years before the events of this episode. The interview occurred on a show called Desert Island Discs on the BBC4, hosted at the time by Roy Plumley, and you can find it on the BBC website and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Interestingly enough, the track list did not match any of the songs heard in the episode, and the closest match is a cut from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, but instead of the cut that we hear in the episode, it was instead number 13, Waltz, in the second act. Other cuts include John Philip Sousa's King Cotton, performed by the band of Her Royal Majesty Royal Marines, Scotland the Brave, performed by the Royal Highland Fusiliers, 16 Tons, performed by Tennessee Ernie Ford, Symphony No. 2 in D Major, the Johann Brahms piece, Rural Britannia, performed by Elizabeth Brainbridge at the BBC Prom, the aforementioned Swan Lake, Rock 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 by Carl Ravazza, and Cum Ranta, performed by the Pindyrus Male Choir. Source, radiotimes.com. Princess Anne, who had been married to Captain Mark Phillips back in 1973, separated in 1989 and divorced in 1992. Source, today.com. The fire at Windsor Castle occurred on November 20th of 1992, destroying 115 rooms, including nine staterooms. It is believed the fire started in Queen Victoria's private chapel, where a faulty spotlight ignited a curtain next to the altar. Source, the Royal Collection Trust website. The toe-sucking scandal with financial advisor John Bryan, as discussed by Andrew and Elizabeth, did in fact occur, and Elizabeth is reading the proper magazine 
that that story came from. The Daily Mirror published on August 20th of 1992 the photos which showed Sarah sunbathing topless in the south of France while John Bryan kissed her toes. It should be noted that this incident seemingly took place after her and Andrew's separation in 1992. Source, thecut.com. And speaking to that, Andrew and Ferguson separated in 1992 and then divorced in 1996. Source, U.S. Magazine. Season 5, Episode 5, The Way Ahead. This one, uh, written again by Peter Morgan, the showrunner, and once again, directed by May L. Tukey. And here is your 64-second recap. It's all about Charles, as in 1989, Charles hosts a hunting and dining celebration among friends, where he complains and then complains that he's been complaining. He calls Camila, that's a double C, and basically has phone sex with her, not aware that their conversation is being recorded by a radio operator, something that can happen thanks to the technology of the time. Moving to the, quote, present day, after he and Diana tell the queen of, and officially announce, their separation, the transcript of his call to Camila is released by the press. His efforts to guide the Way Ahead group, trying to make the monarchy more relatable to the public, are blown up in smoke after the transcript is released, despite Anne's semi-support, that's a double S. Charles goes on a public relations offensive utilizing Jonathan Dimbleby to create a documentary of him. It culminates in an interview that continues to expose his feelings for Camilla, leaving her husband looking very grumpy, and leaving his wife going to an event dressed stunningly in what becomes known as the Revenge Dress. The Queen takes a stand against some of Charles's positions regarding the monarchy to the Prime Minister, while Anne visits Charles again, slightly more dismayed with him than before. But this time, returns Anne reports to the family that Charles is strong, and should be taken seriously. The episode closes with Charles lecturing and dancing with young people as part of his Prince's Trust efforts. We break out the tiny wheel again. It's got new topics on it. Uh, the lettering is smaller than ever. I can't read. I can't even read most of these, uh, even when the wheel is standing still. Give it a spin. Okay, Susan. I don't know which one did it land on here. Oh, let's see. Um, <laughs> oh dear. I guess we're gonna have to have this conversation. Charles and Camilla. The conversation. Oh. Uh, the conversation. Um, was it a little too gynecological? It certainly was for Anne's taste. I'm not yeah. sure if it, if it was. Uh, I, I I mean, uh, I can't imagine reading a transcript of, of, a, of a phone call in a newspaper. Right. In, in a, how horrifying is that for both of them? Oh, uh, if you can't do it, Matt, I've got the transcript right here. So you ready? Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> Another thing, just like the fire at the castle, that I actually remember from the news, and at the time, the, the you know, once again, I wasn't a royal watcher. I'm an American. I didn't pay attention to any of this. But this conversation was so shocking. And if you talk to young Bubba back in the 90s, oh. I guess when this happened, I was like, this is the grossest, dis most disgusting thing I've ever heard. What's going on? And one thing I loved about it is, oh, but you're making it sound like you were 13 in the 90s. I know better than that. We were both over 20. <laughs> well, at times in the 90s, yeah. But anyway, listen, the, what I'm trying to say is that 
what I loved about the episode is how in context, it's still not something I would say, but in context, it didn't seem that shocking. It was like two people, you know, having a laugh. And so I, that conversation, I'm still, once again, not going to want to hear it or read a transcript, but I wish I could go back to myself in the nineties and say, you know, this was not, this was not said without a little bit of the tongue, you know, this was tongue in cheek almost as presented by the show. And so I love that. The second question I know that we should talk about this conversation is about a paper saying they shouldn't publish it and then suddenly reversing themselves and say, well, okay, we should publish it. That's good. I believe at American journalism schools, this is a private conversation, even if it was, um, how do I say it? Even it was, you know, not purposely recorded and it just did happen to be uh, caught. I think most journalists would say, is it in the public's good to release it? And I still to, don't think it was, even after they had separated. I still don't think, okay, this is a private conversation that the public needs to hear about. And so that is the I, point, Bubba. It's the fact that what, other than the fact that I know that the publisher says, we don't want to ruin a royal marriage, right? And then they come back and they yeah, tell that, them, well, that now that me, they're separated, we're gonna they're, we're gonna we're gonna release it. But that doesn't change that essential question that you just put out there, which is, you know, what good does it do? That that the the answer to that question doesn't change before or after the separation. To me, now so, I was raised in a country without a monarchy, but the the question that kind of prevents them from releasing it of oh, this could destroy their marriage or whatever. To me, that shouldn't be a question a journalist would ask. And exactly. So, I agree. Very odd as an American seeing this. And I should point out, even though I didn't, I went to a journalism school at the University of Georgia, but I my major wasn't really reporting. It was a kind of technical skills, but fascinating, fascinating episode. And once again, in the context of that conversation, I thought, okay, big deal. Bubba knows more than you do. In terms of sensitivity, Susan, I think you're probably the one uh, that we want to hear from most. So. Well, you know, I I want to uh, comment on what Bubba is saying here because I agree. I think this is so important. Uh, first off, this particular conversation and the details of it are something that is still brought up uh, around Charles and especially Charles and Camilla. Uh, on a fairly regular basis, and because of some of the details of the conversation sounding so weird at the time uh, for this to be some sort of a romantic uh, conversation, um, it's kind of it's stuck to him as this you know awful thing, this awful uh, salacious detail. But I agree. After listening to the way they presented it in the show, if that is the way that uh, the conversation was going, the context of it made a huge difference to me in in what was going on. I also agree that not wouldn't be my choice of how to talk about the, the these type of things, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't so crazy. It you know it it made it make some sense. Yeah. I agree um, completely. I, I think that this conversation seen in black and white is a whole different conversation to most people than if they 
heard the original phone recording because I, I, I think that in the, I mean, goodness knows where Peter Morgan came up with the idea to make it like they were making it tongue in cheek, but how else can you treat something like this really in a way, or at least to me, to my line of thinking, if I was being serious about that, I would hope that Camila would break up with me right away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, and especially if the conversation again, as presented in the show was something where it initially started uh, of them having this whole discussion about this presentation that he was going to make at Oxford and having her listen to and give him some, you know, constructive criticism on that, you know, before it kind of devolved into, to something else. Um, Though, again, then that also begs the question of what what seems so strange and hard to get your head around, too, is how her husband has to, uh, you know, put up with this whole situation mm-hmm. as well, yeah. um, which, you know, is strange in, in by almost any measure, but you realize was something that the royals for generations kind of dealt with that, uh, you know, the the monarch might be having uh relationships with uh married individuals and their spouses kind of just put up with it because it was the monarch whether they did it willingly or not yeah or or even vice versa as philip points out to diana in the second episode you know the system allows for you to do whatever you want to make yourself happy right right so yeah uh which is just as long as you don't try to break the system, which is what he was accusing Diana of doing. But you're absolutely right. To me, it's more the people on the outside of this that are affected by it. I mean, obviously, uh, the the episode portrays Charles being horrified, Camila obviously being horrified. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did feel terrible for her husband. Absolutely. I I think that that uh, conversation, you know, before that happens, with uh charles and her husband is absolutely terrible and awkward and uh right the way that it would be and he is in a position where he's kind of doing what you just said he's he's kind of just trying to make small talk until camila finally gets on the line right right and her children knowing that you know mom's gonna go off again to talk to the prince because there was obviously acknowledgement at the table that that was what was going on yeah Absolutely. Very hard. Because it's painted in this light, Charles does come across as one way. But then there's also this internal debate that I'm having in myself about you shouldn't be doing this while you're still married. And then, uh, my, you know, the other side of my brain talks back and says, well, he doesn't have a choice that he's still married. He's forced to be married. And so he can't, mm-hmm. you know, do what he wants so that then having a conversation like this would quote unquote be okay. So it's, it's fascinating in and of itself. And it's also fascinating that we really didn't spend any time with Diana to truly see her reaction to it. You know, we had, she didn't speak if I'm correct in the episode, we kind of saw shots of her reacting, but she didn't speak in this episode. And I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, he's just, uh, he can't win no matter what he does. Charles, I mean. Yeah. 
But you have to admit that Charles likes whining about things. I mean, you know, <laughs> that whole hunting thing at the beginning where he just Yeah, yeah. Grandma, you know. no fussing. Let's get <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Grandma's back. Uh try to hitting uh Charles on the knuckles. Uh he even tries to make a joke about it, but you can tell that he's still pretty darn serious about it. Uh, all the way through the episode and all the way through the rest of these episodes, to be perfectly honest, uh, spoiler alert. We're going to put a pin in it and we are going to come up with a part two where we will continue our conversation regarding season five, episodes four through six uh, in a future podcast. It will be coming up very soon. Look for part two. This has been part one. Remember, we want your feedback. It's the only way we can enter you into our contest is if you submit feedback. We have to know who we want to draw for this. And if you submit feedback, you will get a chance to win the crown dissected or either the crown official companion volume one, which covers the years 47 to 55 or the crown in vogue or and uh, lots of pretty pictures of Vogue magazine articles and images, beautiful stuff. And, of course, we also have volume two of the Crown Official Companion that we will be giving away. That's the years 1956 to 1977. We want to give all of this to you. So how do you do that? How do you submit feedback so that you can be entered into this contest? Well, that's pretty easy. You Tweet to at LilibetPod on Twitter, L-I-L-I-Bet Pod on Twitter. You can send emails to Matt's Audioblog at gmail.com, M-A-T-T-S Audioblog at gmail.com. Uh, you can use the same spelling for our website, Matt's Audioblog.com. You can leave comments on web posts there. You can also leave comments on our videos, which are on the Double P Media YouTube. Look for YouTube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. And be sure to subscribe because it's not just our podcast that's there. There's all kinds of great shows that Double P Media covers. And usually with Bubba and Catfish, who are very funny guys and very entertaining guys. And they will entertain you, unlike what some of the stuff that I do, which may not be so entertaining. It may be more annoying than entertaining. Some of you may find it entertaining. I tend to uh, you know, entertain myself by being annoying, so I don't know what that says about me. At any rate, uh, be sure to check that out. You can also find all their socials. Use this spelling. The word double, the letters PHQ. The word double, the letters PHQ for Twitter, for Instagram, for Hive, also for Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. This has been Matt. Thanks for listening by.